0: Hello and welcome to Between the Lines. On today's show, I will be speaking with author and interviewer Sharon Berg, all the way in Newfoundland. Hello, Sharon, and welcome to Between the Lines.
1: Hi, Randy, and thanks for hosting me on your podcast. Oh, You're doing something really important here in sharing the voices of so many authors.
0: Well, I think it is important, and that's why I continue to do it. It might be a little bit of time between shows, but it, it gets done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get into the uh, nitty-gritty of the interview, I wonder if you might be willing to um, share a little bit uh, about yourself um, with our listening audience uh, and just let them know, you know, what makes Sharon Berg Sharon Berg?
1: Well, I write all kinds of different things, poetry, fiction, non-fiction books. I do interviews of Canadian poets currently for the Thames Review in London, Ontario. And I suppose one thing that distinguishes me from other authors is that I've actually built my writing career twice. I began writing early in Ontario, and I published a book of poetry in 1979 and another in 1984. And in fact, back then, Dennis Lee said I was one of the younger poets to watch. And then I entered university and prepared for a career as an elementary school teacher and that job consumed so much of me that I couldn't write. No one heard from me between 1986 and 2006 Where'd when I she it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, but I founded Big Pond Rumors International Literary Easing then, uh, because even though I couldn't write, I thought I can do the editing. That's so close to teaching. Um, and I ran Big Pond until 2019, but it didn't really feature my own work. I ran contests in the magazine and the winners received chapbooks. I published chapbooks through BPR Press. But it only kept me in touch really with submitting and publishing, not with writing. And when I retired in the mid-2016s, I found I had to start all over again when it came to building my reputation as an author. Everyone had forgotten me. They didn't recognize my name. I released two books that had been on my shelf. In 2019, and then two more drawing on ancient material in 2020. But it's been a true uphill battle to reestablish myself as an author. I was uh, I'm born sorry. in I Ontario.
0: A, I got a chuckle out of that ancient material.
1: <laughs> well, but it is. I'm ancient. Well, wow. I'm I'm going to be 70 uh, this year, so oh, wow, I'm feeling quite elderly. Um, I was born in Ontario. I lived there most of my life, but I moved to the eastern coast of Newfoundland in December 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. I followed my sister here and now I live in the middle of Terra Nova National Park in the hamlet of Charlottetown. Um, there's actually three Charlottetowns in Canada in case anybody questions whether I'm actually in PEI and don't understand where I'm living.
0: I questioned her. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's a Charlottetown in PEI, one in Labrador, and the other one that's right here. I'm on Cloud Sound. Um, I actually see the sound from my living room window. It's just a gorgeous place to live. Um, and when I arrived here, I looked out the window. I said, this is the place I'm going to live and write. And I feel that I need to share this with other people. So then I opened a writer's retreat. Oh wonderful. And, uh, so now I I run Ocean View Writers Retreat.
0: Yeah. Uh, is is that everything? Is that the, the the skinny that you want to give us, or is there other not so skinny stuff you want to share? No,
1: that's <laughs> it for now.
0: That's it for now. All right, yeah. we're gonna go right into question period. Uh, that's where I get to ask you a bunch of uh, handpicked questions by yourself for the purpose of this interview um and then again later as i've warned you there is a question number eight that you have no idea uh, of what it is or why i even picked it but you'll it'll be self-evident are you ready yep question number one then how do you balance your personal life with your writing life or with your writing career
1: well some of that's become obvious through the initial explanation of who I am, because mm-hmm. when I was teaching, I felt so consumed by that job that it really squeezed out all creative writing. All my creativity went into lesson planning. Um, but, and when I was in university, I was writing, but it was essays. There was just no time for creative writing. Although I did get creative in my essay writing. Um, but. I'd say that I've got very little life apart from my writing these days because I'm just living alone with my little dog. And when I was raising my girls, my experience was so different because I wrote in the middle of family life and all of the chaos that was happening around the kitchen table. So it's almost like two very different experiences of being an author, Um, you know? So my community is friendly, but it's tiny. And the truth is I spend most of my time inside in the cold weather. So most days I'm focused on my writing and the tasks associated with being a published author, such as submitting my poetry and stories or reading as the juror for contests, um, reading for pleasure, or working on interviews of other authors.
0: Well, you you indicated that you you are retired now, so... Yep. I guess you have a lot more time for yes. writing than for life, if you know what I mean, right? Like life, including working and all those other things that take you away from writing, you have more time for that aspect.
1: Yes. Well, and the other part is that my community is just 205 people. Um, so there isn't really a community life uh, to share, um, um, around me very much. So. I just stay indoors and, you know, in the summertime, it's a bit different. But uh right now, I'm a house buddy.
0: <laughs> I take it you're not much of a fisher person.
1: Nope. <laughs> Actually, Charlottetown isn't well known for fishing uh so much either. There was a period of time when they had shipbuilding here, but most of the time, um the focus was on forestry. Ah, okay.
0: That makes sense. You're in a national park. Yep surrounded by trees that's a good place to be yeah next question how do you handle writer's block or creative slumps
1: yeah it isn't like i've never dealt with writer's block but it hasn't happened for quite a long period of time not enough for close enough for me to worry about um in university, it wasn't writer's block. It was just that all my writing crowded out creative writing. Um, and as a teacher, again, I was writing, but it was lesson plans. Um, so it's just where does your creativity go? I don't actually think people get a block so much as, as that they lose their pathway in to their creative self. So, what I would suggest to anybody that does have a creative block is just take up another facet of art and um, maybe you want to draw, maybe you want to um, journal, maybe um, some other form of creative um, arts will help you to get that back.
0: So I have interviewed close to 50, 60 people now. Uh, for this uh, Between the Lines podcast, <clears throat> and that question has come up a lot about you know writers' block or creative slumps or whatever, and predominantly the same answer comes out of everybody's mouth: do something different to yeah. get your mind out of that and into something else, and that will come back.
1: Well, I say the same thing to anybody who is having some sort of personal crisis with depression or whatever. Just find some sort of hobby to focus on. You have to find a way to express yourself.
0: Yeah. When you do nothing, nothing happens. Exactly. (laughs) I just came up with that. Uh, I won't patent it or copyright it, but (laughs) feel free to use it. Um, but also like, you know, I think most writing blocks or creative slumps occur when there's nothing on the page and you're sitting there looking at a cursor who's mocking you.
1: Well, I have to say, when I retired from teaching, I retired with PTSD. It was not a very happy time. And the first two weeks, I literally sat on my couch and stared at the television, not even taking in what was happening on the screen. Hmm. Um, and then I got out my master's thesis, and I started working on um, trans- transferring it into a form that would work For everyone to read, not just an academic. My phone's going in the background. I'm going to ignore it. Anyway, that I wrote myself out of PTSD by working on my thesis, trying to turn it into a book for the public. You know?
0: And how's that going?
1: Well, that was (laughs) back in 2016. So it worked. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I actually self-published that book um because that was at the beginning of starting my second career as yep. a writer and um I only published 50 copies but one I sent to the IPPY Awards and it won an award. Oh wow. Yeah, 50 copies only but it won an award.
0: <laughs> How a very rare book that will be one day.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I'm actually revising it now because things have happened. It was the story of the first uh, First Nations school founded in Canada in nineteen seventy six elder Pauline Church founded this school and um she asked me if I would write the history of it, so I did but since that time and 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 since the publication of the book, that school, which still exists, has actually moved into its own building and started high school classes. So there are updates to do.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And a lot of them probably.
1: Yeah. And then Pauline herself received uh, the Order of Ontario in October last year. So there's lots of updating to do. (laughs) Oh,
0: sweet. I think at this point right now, before we go into the next question, you have a a poem selected that you maybe want to read? Sure. Or recite? (laughs)
2: No, I'm going to read it. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) This one is called Genesis. The stars are shifting on their axis, each one a constant friend through the pitching nightmare of these transitional years. Even the calendar is untrue these days, never presenting the moon in its old dependable way. Overhead the constellations dance, my perspective altered like a ripple in glass. A foggy figure presents on the horizon. You and I know nothing of its making, only note that each constellation swings over to allow room. Each star song slips into a new key. In one hundred years we may decipher those tunes, for now we can only collect data on the orbit of friends the quality of life persuaded from water and dust i write notes here a diary of changes stubborn seeds germinate in the barest earth i study the pithy sky the stars are old friends just now one swallowed its tail and blinked out every living thing challenges its finite seasons Neither the process nor the book of telling will be finished in our time. One clear note echoes across space between us and in its echo shifts to become another.
2: Okay.
0: That was, um, that was pretty darn good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I, I would say that I have an idea of what might have inspired that, but you want to shed some light into that? Um,
1: just friendships, loss of friendships, but believing that things will go on. I don't know.
2: How long did it take so, to you to write that?
1: It wasn't long. I, I'm i one of those people that from time to time, I really feel like I almost channel what I write. um, Like it's a gift from someone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, your task is just to write it down. Okay. Um, I have a connection to it. I, I definitely, but in terms of explanation, I don't even have an explanation for myself.
0: <laughs> That's fair enough. You just write because it it had to come out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand that. I'm a. I've always said that I'm an ideas guy, and I pluck ideas out of the air because and they're there because nobody else is plucking them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's what I say about all my poetry over the years: is that no, you know it just came to me and I plucked it out of the air because nobody else wanted it. Yep. And uh, you know that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
1: <laughs> well, it's not like all poems come like that, though. Some, some you do labor over.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, on a so I've got my question sheet here in front of me uh, that I'm posing to you, but in another document behind this one, um, I've got three poems on the same page that three different poems that I've started on the same page that are have nothing to do with each other. They're just lines that came to me and I walked away and then more lines came to me for something else. And that's just the way it happens. And I'll get back to those eventually. My uh, unfinished pile went in the last year, went down from 150 unfinished down to about 47 unfinished now. So
2: (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: Now so the next question I've got a few little uh, stars beside it and I think this is because it's an indication of something that you want to talk about and so uh, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I give you the question how do you think the role of the writer has changed over time
1: and that is something I want to talk about because I feel I'm in a different position to talk about this than people who have been writing consistently um from the time that i began because in starting over again in 2016 um with no one knowing me uh i found it was a very different place than when i was starting out in 1976 so i began writing earlier than 1976 but at that point in time i had a daughter and i knew i was a writer and I picked poetry to work on because that was something that I could actually draft out while she was down to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured from the very beginning that I would be a novelist, but I couldn't achieve a novel uh, while my daughter was napping. So I started out with poetry and I joined a poetry workshop at that time. And um we were kicked out of the Queens Key area in uh, Toronto and told that we had to come up with a new name because the name that we'd previously operated under was copyrighted. So we named ourselves Phoenix, as in Rising from the Flames. And that workshop became one of the longest-running workshops in Ontario. It lasted some 30 years wow. under the leadership of different people. Impressive. It met weekly. And we also, because we believed in the importance of delivering poetry vocally, we also ran a coffee house once a month. Nice. So all this, this group of people, we're, there were about 32 members, but a core group of about 12 to 16 people that showed up every week. But it included people like Robert Priest, Maria Jacobs, Heather Roberts Cadsby, Stuart Ross, Brian Purdy, so many people, um, who went on to publish books. It was just an incredibly strong group of writers. And, um, that group had a really strong influence on me. For years after I moved away from Toronto, I could still hear the advice of my colleagues in my mind, in their voice, you know? And the Axletree Coffee House hosted authors from across the country. So, this group of strong writers met all kinds of strong writers from across the country who were on book tours and the Canada Council, the Ontario Arts Council and Access Copyright were all being founded around that time. And they all involved people who were part of the arts. So the people behind the creation of those organizations, um, they would stop by the coffee house as well. So, Members of Yuck Yuck's Comedy House, for instance, were there. And all sorts of musicians from classical to folk performed at the Tree, And the coffee house remained a, a fixture in Toronto arts for around 20 years. So my workshop and coffee house experience were vital to who I became as an author. And it was a groundwork for everything I've done to support other authors on their journeys of discovery. That's something that's really important to me is... That whatever I'm doing, I would be supporting other authors. That's why I do my interviews, right? Me too. Um, that's why I founded the magazine that I founded. I wanted to provide a place for people to publish their work. Um, so, but back then in the seventies and eighties, it, it seemed relatively easy in a city to get a place to read your work aloud. There were several places that were, um, running reading series like we were. And in terms of publishing, we've always had to seek publication in magazines before presses would look at our books. But back then, every author had to mail their submissions to magazines, and fewer people could afford to do that. I was a single parent, and I just put $10 a month aside for the cost of mailing submissions in. But on the other hand, there seemed to be more support for the arts. So if you did get a poem into a paying magazine, such as a van, you could earn $80 for one poem. Mm-hmm. So that isn't the case anymore. In the 2000s, things became very different. The internet started taking over for in-person readings and for post office tax tasks, you know, and Amazon and Indigo also grew and ripped apart the market for small publishers by providing cheap publication themselves. And they don't use quality paper or offset or, but they produce on-demand digitally. And even the books published by small presses are often sold on Amazon and Indigo, below the prices set by small publishers. So they've totally torn apart the publishing industry as it used to exist.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And then there were companies like Submittable who undercut the post office, making it possible to submit to journals and publications around the world much more conveniently with much cheaper rates. So the market has been flooded by authors who have little experience with writing, some who publish books with vanity presses or the services of Amazon. And it all makes it a whole lot harder for a serious editor or a serious professional author to get through the slush pile. You know, the work that is being submitted to every press has piled up around their ears. And um so now it's, really starting to become that whole that old adage of it's who you know starts mm-hmm. to play because that's one way around the slush pile and it can begin to seem that social clichés and political interests are in the driver's seat for publishing opportunities at least um as often as simply producing quality material
0: so really what you're saying is that there there, there is some change it, it, there is quite, a lot, um, quite a lot of change. about that coffee shop in Toronto. What was it called?
1: The Axletree Coffee House.
0: Okay. I have a, a friend who was on the scene in the 70s and 80s in Toronto. I'm going to have to ask him about it. He's yeah. a, he was a musician or is a musician. Uh, um, you kind of touched on the next question, but we'll let you go into a little further. <clears throat> excuse me. We'll let you go into a, a further detail How do you think social media has affected the way writers connect with their audience?
1: Well, I don't think that, um, people realize how much it has changed the audience or the people that are participating, um, in writing. There's that, that whole idea that, you know, the writer is a recluse, um, um, that they're an introvert. That just doesn't work the same anymore with social media. You, you have to put yourself onto TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or someplace like that in order to gain attention. In fact, the publishers, because they're under so much pressure to deal with their submissions with dividing their funds, you know, between authors um has become more difficult too. So they put more pressure on writers to make their own public persona
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, rather than supporting the books. And social media is really a place that has allowed people to develop public personas, whether they're creative or not. Like you've got all these influencers yeah. who have, you know, Hundreds and thousands and maybe even millions of followers. And they're not artists. They're, they're just, I don't know. <laughs> Some of them are pretty strange.
0: Quote unquote um, influencers into whatever their, their, their particular, uh, belief is.
1: Yeah. And so if you're an extrovert, then you're probably going to be doing all right because you can, extrovert all you want on social media (laughs) but Um, if you're an introvert it's it's really tough going if like living where i am now i i don't get cell phone service very well here um like i keep dropping calls and and so on because i'm in the middle of a forest and the forest doesn't have a lot of cell towers so (laughs) you know i forget instagram i used to be on instagram i can't use it anymore
2: right
1: um, and then I'm also, you know, I find it difficult to put myself out there on social media.
0: Fair enough. But would you agree or disagree with the following sentiment? <clears throat> social media, for the most part, allows creators the opportunity for instant gratification. So you put it out there, you're getting instant feedback. Okay, it might well, not be positive, might not be negative, but you don't have to wait for the book to be published and then sell it and then get the feedback. You're, if you put something out there, you're going to get that instant response.
1: Yes, I, I, you will if, as long as you have your following. But if you don't have a huge following, then you're not going to get much feedback.
0: Well, true enough, I guess. True. I, I belong to two writing groups on Facebook. Uh, one is my own group that I started out of frustration from the other group, but I'm still in the other group and my group has 2,000 people. The other group has like 13,000 people. So I go betwixt the two and, uh, I, I share on either or and, uh, there's 14,000 people that are, are, are seeing what I do right. or experiencing what I do. I don't care what they think personally. Uh, you know, like it or not, that's just an opinion. Uh, if it makes you feel something, if it makes you think something, let me know. That's where my gratification comes from. It's not yeah. a little like, uh, you know, click on the like button it means nothing to me.
1: Yeah. But I think that with social media, people have been, um, encouraged to ch- change what they put out there as well. Um, it started with television, right? That, um, w- television caused writers To write with a formula that could hold people over the, um, commercial breaks. Mm. And so now people, they have less patience. They want instant gratification and they want a whole lot of spice too. Mm -hmm. Spice in all kinds of meanings of that word. True Um, enough. And the whole concept of being an artist has changed. So um, uh, there are people that they rely a lot more on shock value.
0: Yes, this is absolutely true. Um, in previous, um, seasons of, uh, between the lines, there was a question that I sometimes asked and, um, it wasn't available, um, on the list for you to, to, uh, select, but, um, I'm just gonna um, put it out there. So like, if you were to go back to the height of the Renaissance, poetry was at its peak. And it, it, it dipped. It kind of went off the radar and now it's starting to come back. And I think in part due to the social media aspect of, of how things are. And I, I don't, I don't say poetry is dead, but it's, it's having a resurgence because of social media. Would you agree with that?
1: Mm, that's not been my experience. Oh,
0: wonderful. Good. Somebody with a different opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I, my experience in the 1980s, people had much more of an ear for listening to poetry in the 80s than the 60s, the 70s, than um, they do now.
0: Well, I don't know, the 50s and into the 60s, you had the beatnik generation. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. This is what I mean. Like, I, I don't think we... Uh, have the ear for poetry now that we used to have
0: but it's it's coming around again because you do a um uh, an amazon search for poetry and you're going to run into a million you know uh hits or whatever they're called right um i, I started writing poetry in 79 so i wasn't able to get into that scene uh because shortly thereafter i ended up living on the streets for 13 years and Anyway, uh, we don't need to go into that story, but um, do you have another poem? I do. I knew that. That's why I asked.
2: (laughs) This one is um,
1: a very different style. If I can get to my marker in my book. There we are. This is something drawn from real life. The door on privacy. We are sitting with our coffees, my brother and I, talking. When floorboards outside the room cry, someone is curious, listening on the other side of the wood. In this all-male house, my female voice attracts an eavesdropper. We pause, you in mid-sentence, me half-giggling to think that anyone could be so nosy. But it isn't funny anymore. As the handle rotates, the locked door is tried. That someone become a nervy, Who's there? That doesn't answer, slipping down the hall, followed by grumbles of the floor. <laughs>
0: Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm giggling. You like that one. Uh I'm giggling because you actually drew the scene in my mind with the words. And yeah. it was, it was very easy to picture. That was wonderful. <laughs> and that's what we <laughs> want to do as writers too, though, right? Is we want to be able to set the scene in somebody's mind, uh, with the words.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like I wonderful. said, drawn from real life. Well, well exactly. I have to say that experience, though, when I, when it happened, oh my God, like inside, you're just quaking. Like who the hell would have the nerve to try the door? And who was it? We don't know. Oh, really? We opened the door, but by the time we got up and opened the door, they were gone.
0: (laughs) That's wonderful. Even better. Yeah. (laughs) Question number five: Um, What challenges do you? uh, What challenges do you think contemporary writers face? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna try and change it up, but yeah what what challenges do you think contemporary writers uh, face?
1: Well. That whole thing about immediate gratification, that mm-hmm. is very big in a lot of people's minds, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That is not what happens with writing. <laughs> a contemporary author, like an author from any time gone by, needs to position their book within a specific genre. Like if you're writing prose, it might be biography or fantasy or sci-fi or mystery. Or with literature, you might... um be writing haiku, free verse, whatever. You have to position your, your work within those genres. But you also need to find the type of writing that appeals to you, whether it's narrative, expository, persuasive, or descriptive. And in contemporary times, writers seem to divide themselves into those who prefer formulaic plots for Writing stories or panzers, people who write freely without plotting. And we've all ho- heard the old adage that a story needs a beginning, a middle, and an end. But what we don't hear as often is that there are different ways to achieve that. And young writers need time to experiment and find their way in their writing, meaning you're rarely going to publish your very first works. And yet, the whole reason that you're writing is that you want to share what you're working on with other people. So it's what's called finding your voice. And it's a tough lesson for beginning authors. Some will try to substitute finding their hook with an audience by using shock value. But that approach often has a pretty short life. And one of the biggest challenges writers face at the moment is the same that it's been for writers from any age. It's patience. Their ability to wait. The market has been flooded. Editors are waiting through really thick piles of submissions. In the 1980s, it would be rare to hear of a magazine that had reading windows of just a month or even a week. But not today. Even writers with multiple books on their CVs are waiting for two or three years for their accepted manuscripts to actually come out in book form. So patience is probably the biggest challenge.
0: Oh, of course. And I'm sure that if you were to question, you know, any of the greats, uh, Dean Kuntz or Stephen King or James Patterson, and the the list would go on, that they have many, many manuscripts that have never seen the light of day. Yeah. (laughs) Well,
1: and then you have the people that think that they should be able to publish every single thing that they ever
0: write. Which just isn't realistic. There's words for people like that, but we love them too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you discuss any specific challenges or opportunities you've faced as a Canadian author?
1: Well, I don't know anything except my Canadian experience. I mean, I've talked about some of the challenges, like writing beginning to write in two separate um, frames of of time. Submitting your work for publication is the least favorite part of my activity as an author. Like I I want to write. I don't really enjoy submitting. (laughs) Um, Dealing with the rejections is huge. And it used to be back in the 1980s, if I sent out 10 envelopes uh with, you know, a selection of poems in them, um, I would get back one or two that had acceptances in them. But these days, you can submit 15 or 20 times the same number of poems um, that you would have put into those envelopes. And you'll be lucky to get. A publication from 15 or 20 submissions. It, it might take 25 submissions. Um, it's just hugely challenging to deal with the number of, of authors. Um, in terms of opportunities, I, I have had opportunities. Some of them I've let go. Like there was one time, um, back in the day, uh when I was a young author, I put together a manuscript for a um anthology that gathered artwork and poetry mm-hmm. and um I had all kinds of name authors and all kinds of people who were just beginning to write and I'd match them up with artists to pull out various aspects of their poetry. That manuscript was accepted by a publisher um it wasn't quite 100% finished but it in theory it was accepted by this publisher and then i ended up i got very very ill i couldn't finish in the time frame that the publisher had given me and i just i said sorry um and i pulled it <laughs> i i didn't even think to um you know check whether it could have been just delayed. Um I just pulled it. But the thing is I like, over time I've learned you don't get one kick at the can. You you have lots of different opportunities. So that book disappeared, but others have come up instead, you know?
0: Fair enough. There's a lot of Canadian authors who write Canadian content. Um do you suppose that that would be a challenge as a writer is to make a, a Canadian focused book popular in the world? Or I don't know if I'm saying that right, but do you catch what I'm I trying understand to
1: say? what, I understand what you're asking. I've actually written one that is Canadian content. That's the book on the, it's a history, um, of the first native way school in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um and I have not been able to find a publisher for it. But a good part of the reason for that is that even though this elder, Pauline Schert, asked me to write the book, when when I got around to turning my thesis into that book, the political air in publishing around First Nations was very, very, very touchy. And here was I, a non-Native person, writing a book about Native education. So even the fact that this elder had asked me to write the history of her school, and she'd participated the whole way through, and her name was on the book as well, I have not been able to find a publisher for it.
0: And you believe because that's because of the, of the Canadian content?
1: I, I think it's... In Canada, we're really sensitive, um, in terms of who is speaking for who. Politically, we are sensitive. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about First Nations, East Indian, Black, whatever, who is speaking for who. And so I have a feeling this book is, you know, it's, it's just a very it's in a very delicate place as canadian content it is canadian
0: mhm uh, how do you think being a part of a writing community has uh impacted your
2: your work well i i
1: think i was maybe 4 or 5 when i decided that i would be a writer and that sounds rather unbelievable. Um, people, people tend to think that young kids cannot establish a goal like that. But my brother was six years older than me. So when I was five or six, he was like 11 or 12. He was already writing in part because his dad was a famous author my brother is my half brother and his father was Al Purdy. And we knew that mom had been married to Al Purdy. And we, we grew up in a house that actually made creative writing verboten. Um, dad had Bibles for everyone in the family (laughs) and, um, you know, we, we didn't listen to the radio unless it was hymns or marching bands. Um, and you weren't allowed to read unless it was the Bible, um, uh, un- or it supported your schoolwork, right? Mm. Well, in that situation, the two of us both decided that we would become writers and we just operated in secret. <laughs> and we actually visited the library in secret because one time we visited and And came home with books. And we got in such trouble that from that point on, we just visited for half an hour on the way home from school. And um, we had a long way to walk. So we just sort of claimed that we were slow to walk. (laughs) (laughs) And we would go and visit the library for half an hour every day on the way home from school.
0: Well, it was uphill both ways in the winter, right?
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Anyway. How has being part of the writing community impacted me? It opened worlds, because all you have to do is open a novel and you step into another world mm-hmm. that someone has created. Um, it's given me friendships. It's um, given me challenges. Um, I don't know. It it's it just seems like it's always been part of my identity. I. I can't explain it other than that.
0: Right, but the days of uh, a community of writing writers sitting down uh, in a small coffee shop sucking back absinthe and trying to write are over, don't you think? No. You don't think so? No. They might not
1: be sucking back absinthe, but they're sitting
0: in coffee shops all the time. Uh, I've never sat in a coffee shop with any writer. Well, that's uh, not true. My very first oh. interview...
1: You might not be sitting with other writers, but you're still sitting in the, there are all kinds of authors who actually they surround themselves with the goings on in the coffee shop it's sort it's sort of like when I was sitting at the kitchen table and all the commotion in the house with my kids was happening
2: mm-hmm.
1: there are people that they almost need to put up that that wall of sound um and activity in order to focus um like, I know, gee, about four or five different people who go individually to coffee houses. And sometimes people will meet at coffee houses and, and, uh, not coffee houses so much, but, um, coffee shops. And they'll, uh, share their writing there. They'll have workshops there. Mm-hmm. I think workshops are part of a writing community, and I really got my grounding in that workshop, Phoenix, I would say I still carry those voices of of all those people that I worked in that workshop with in my head. You know?
0: So of the 204 people in the community where you live, how many other writers are there that you are aware of?
2: Three.
0: So there, you've got your own little group.
2: (laughs)
1: They're not all writing... As I'm writing though. Oh, okay. Um, because they're musicians. So they're writing songs, but they're not, they're not writing. It, it, it's a different venue. This this is a very musical place. The island here is, is very supportive of its music.
0: Oh yeah. (laughs) That's the truth.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, but there are definitely writers in Newfoundland probably working in isolation in the way that I am too like Michael Winter and um I think Michael Crummy at some points has lived in a community such as mine I'm not sure where he is now but um and there are people who are mainly in St. John's or Gander mm-hmm. um or Corner Brook but um you know there's all sorts of different writers here I was a juror on, um, a contest this year, uh, reading poetry. And I was amazed by the quality of the poetry, um, in that contest. And that, that was, it's a contest that has poetry, um, every second year. Okay. And so there were like 12 books.
2: The, the quality was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. For, for the most part, there were some that were
1: not quite there
0: <laughs> now did you but, did you respond to this interview request uh from my group or from another group? I saw it posted on facebook okay are are you in my group, Canadian nope. creative writers no, nope. oh okay, well, you should join <laughs> um, <laughs> in communities, you get challenged. And it's a yeah. safe place to be challenged.
1: Well, sometimes it's safe. Sometimes it's not.
0: Depending on the crowd. Well, <laughs> or the yeah. or the culture that you create within that community. Well, because yeah. there are some toxic communities.
1: Yeah, I.
0: <laughs> You're struggling.
1: I mentioned before that my brother is Al Purdy's son,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I've stood by my brother's side. Well. People yelled at him on the street that he should change his last name because he's just a fake and he's not Purdy's son and blah blah blah, like they know <laughs> and they don't know
2: right
1: um and brian um you know he really, really suffered as an author because of the response that the literati had towards him. almost everyone thought that he was a fake. Even though Al introduced him to some of his writing friends, he didn't introduce him to everybody, and he didn't publicly claim him. So, you know, it can be a pretty cruel
0: world, too. This is true. This is true. So we've done the seven questions that uh, you were aware of, and now now it's time for that mysterious eighth question that I choose. And I promise it won't hurt. (laughs) <laughs> what aspect of the writing process do you find most challenging and how do you tackle it?
1: If you're talking about writing and publishing, I think I've already said that I find the whole process of submitting to be really challenging.
0: So just, just uh, the submitting part?
1: Yeah. You have to look um at every place that you're submitting to and try and figure out which pieces of your work will actually fit with what they're doing and mm-hmm. what they're looking for. And I just find it so time-consuming to make submissions and and to put your piles of work together in order to submit. Um I'd much rather be writing than submitting
0: but what are you, you know? writing for then?
1: Who are you I am writing for the public but it's it's not I don't write for a certain magazine. Right, fair enough. You know, like you can have an idea of who the public is and and who your audience is. But when you look at magazines, there so many of them are they're either accepting a particular genre of work or they want a certain style of work. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a second career to be submitting.
0: All right, that's that's fair enough. But I mean, my personal feeling, ever since I started writing, um, and, and you know, a lot of people have heard me say this, so they know this to be true, is that I don't write for profit. I profit from my writing. And there's a world of difference. I don't write for the money. I write for the sake of writing to improve myself. Uh, if it gets out there, great. If it doesn't, someday it will. I'll die and somebody will find it all and go, oh, look at this guy. Well, whatever, you know, what an idiot or what great stuff or whatever. But I don't, I don't necessarily write for the money. I just write because I want to improve how I write.
1: I don't um, see the connection. Well, okay. Frankly, um, because I'm not writing for profit either. Right. Clearly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not anything that any author um, should expect.
0: The people that profit from writing are few and far between. But the the mentality out there today is that I'm going to write and this is going to be a big seller. And I'm and, and, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's the mentality. Is there writing and I'm going to be a big success and I'm going to make all this money. And that's, that's the mentality though.
2: Yeah, but
1: that has nothing to do with whether you want to, I mean, I do make my submissions. Right. But, but,
0: but you want I your just, work to be known too though, right?
1: I do want it to be known. And it doesn't necessarily
0: have to earn you money. Right. Okay.
1: I wasn't necessarily submitting to, and I don't necessarily submit to magazines that pay you, but I just find it an onerous task. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I will agree with that 100%. All right. One more poem before we go into the next section. Sorry to put you on the spot.
1: <laughs> this is a longer piece. Um It's also drawn from life, but, but from not from a moment in life
2: okay
1: willow for my father born on the frontier in 1916 all things begin in dust or the memory of dust with hands or the absence of hands in silence and in telling my father remembers the endless prairie on the night his mother died through the absence of hands She had five healthy children and a new baby. She had an abscessed tooth and retained placenta, a richer family, and a husband blinded by pride. My father's father shut out charity from the town folk, refusing assistance from the dentist, not allowing the midwife to assist his wife. She died in agony. Today the judgment would be death through negligence. My grandmother was thirty-two. The rough hand of justice might have fallen, yet family and villagers brooded their resentments in silence. At twelve, my father was apprenticed to manhood; his father's hands laid over his on the carpenter's plane and auger he learned the beauty of hands turned to a task and doing it well already knowing the brutality of hands withheld and dust blew through the rough log house dust of the prairie settling over his mother's bones meeting dust of the yellow sky as the money for building dried up on the dust-bowl prairie of twenty-nine villagers bolting their doors my grandfather becoming an apparition revenant with a bible spread across his knees necessity became the mother of contrivance father and son building incubators in abandoned grain elevators on the edge of town new chicken farmers the incubators cooked they lost five hundred chicks My aunt replaced her mother in the kitchen, her hands blistered by chores. She grew vegetables in the dust. Decades later, her brothers report, she made meals from nothing. But my father still refuses lamb. Fifty years on, mutton his grandparents sent to feed their lost daughter's children still grisly in his mind. At Christmas or Thanksgiving, these siblings gather for feasts with their children, to share their versions of childhood well remembered. Not from them would we hear of their mother's passing, or childhood's empty belly, or the whispering behind hands in that tiny village on the Dust Bowl Prairie. Instead, my grandmother Celia's sisters cornered my mother, Did your husband ever say what his father had done? My mother, dumbfounded, unable to keep them silent in her child's hearing. God punishes in God's way, they said. Suddenly I understood my grandfather, locked in silence, the Bible on his lap, resisting grandchildren on his knee, his eyes always fixed on the distance his hands full of Parkinson's shake, forever signing silent crosses against evil whispers. My father told us only of long, hot summers fencing on his uncle's sheep farm, how they split a fallen willow to pound the posts into hard prairie, the next spring so wet most of the posts sprouted, leaves adorning the fence line. Years later, the thickened trunks of willow grown around nail and wire. It surprises me only how deeply we depend upon this image of green life wrapping around nails in the post. All of our children taking leaf, no matter how we split the old tree, no matter what poor dust they must root in.
0: Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> Certainly a lot of emotion went into that. Yeah, clearly a lot of emotion went into that. No, that's that was very impressive. Thank you for sharing that one.
1: Yeah. You grow up with stories, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and sometimes you overhear stories
0: <laughs> behind and those uh, doors where you're not supposed to be listening.
1: <laughs> well, or or they just talk in front of you because they just want to know.
0: <laughs> yeah. True you know? sure enough. Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Now, as I said, we're going to move into uh, part two, which is, um, called shameless plugging, <clears throat> which is really why I do this podcast is, is to introduce, uh, or as I say, lesser known Canadian authors and writers, but in some cases that are not so lesser known. But anyway, um, and this gives you an opportunity to, you know, brag and boast and, and, and whatever. So, uh, the first question is what books do you currently have available, uh, on the market and where can people find them?
1: Well, what the poems that I've been reading are from my book, Stars in the Junkyard, which was published in 2020 by Cyberwit. That's a um, company in India. It's mainly available on Amazon, which is unfortunate. Bookstores just have not been accessing the uh, the book. But you can find my first and second books of poetry on Amazon as well. They're all out of print, but they would be available as used books. There's To a Young Horse was published in 1979 by Borealis Press. And The Body Labyrinth was released by Coaches Press in 1984. Um, this book that I've been reading from, it was, uh, like I said, it was published in 2020. Um, and it was a finalist in the 2022 International Book Awards. My first collection of short fiction was published with Porcupine's Quill in 2019. And, The book I've talked about through the interview, The Name Unspoken, Wandering Spirit Survival School, was self-published through Big Pond Rumors Press in 2019. It's no longer available. I have like three copies left of it. And then I released another book in 2020, which was called Before the Heart Went Down, Selected Poems by Robert Billings. Robert Billings was uh, vice president of the League of Canadian Poets in 1986, 1985-86. And he went missing on Halloween, and his body was found in um, the next summer. After he disappeared, people just, like they do with authors who pass on, People forget about you. And I just felt that uh, Robert's book was one, th- this book of, of Robert's poetry was one I wanted to bring out because he had given me 10 poems that uh, were not collected into a book. And I wanted to uh, do something with them. And eventually I found two more poems that had also not been collected into a book. So there's 12 Fresh poems in that book as well. Hmm.
0: When you mentioned his name, there was a, a familiarity with me, but I have no idea where I knew this from.
1: Robert was responsible for the first international poetry festival in Canada, being shown with Greg Gatenby. He he worked with Greg Gatenby, um, and I I don't know. Like he was just so important to. Canadian writing becoming internationally known. He, he was one of those people that was always working on behalf of other people. He was editor of, oh, was it called Poetry Canada Review, I think? There was a, it was like a newsprint magazine that came out with ECW Press at the time, and he was the editor. It was such a big deal. hmm. Everything he did was a big deal. His criticism, his work as an editor, his writing itself. Yeah.
0: Maybe that's where I've heard it. I don't know. Um, but it, its I'm glad you mentioned it. I'm going to have to do some research. <clears throat> Question number two, are you currently working on anything? And if so, how close to completion is it?
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting. At the beginning, you said, before we get into the nitty gritty of the interview, um, and I had to laugh because um i've just coll- i just completed my second collection of short fiction and the title for the book is the nitty gritty and other complications <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. knew it.
0: I knew it <laughs> no i didn't
1: <laughs> i also have several other books looking for a publisher including my debut novel which is called um tell that to picasso um, which is the story of, um, an artist, model and, and painter. Um, uh, and a fourth book of poetry, which I've called Ghost Lineage. And I've got a collection of linked fables for young people. Who oh, nice. Yeah.
0: So you're all over the map.
1: I am. And then, like I said, I'm working on updating the name Unspoken, Wandering Spirit Survival School. So, yeah. I, I've got all kinds of stuff that um is out there looking and, and all kinds of stuff I I'm working on constantly.
0: Uh, that's uh that's that's good to know. Um so keep your eyes and well, ears. Uh are any of these available, gonna be available audio book or are you going that route or
1: Well my uh book naming uh the shadows is available as an audio book okay. through Porcupine's Quill. I don't think anything else is.
0: Okay.
1: And as far as the other books that I've just finished working on, I don't know because they haven't got a publisher yet.
0: <laughs> well, maybe we'll find out soon enough. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, question number three is one of my favorite questions of all. And it, well, they'll figure it out. Uh, out of everything you've ever written, if you had to choose one as a favorite, Which one would it be and why? It's like picking your favorite child. I know.
1: Yeah. Um, And it's always difficult. Um, In many ways, I would say The Name Unspoken. Okay. Um, The book about the school. Mm -hmm. Um, I gave a tremendous portion of my life to creating that book.
0: You said 10 Um, years, didn't you?
1: Well, 10 years to prepare for it, but then I've worked on it since then, too. You oh, know? Okay,
0: yeah. And now you're uh, going to have to work on it again because of new stuff.
1: Exactly, yeah. Like, working on preparing to write that book really changed my life because I got such a clear understanding of Native ontology, which is their uh view, mm-hmm. uh, their worldview. I... I can't call it, You'll see people refer to native religion. Uh, it is not a religion. It is a world view. It is an outlook on the world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, it changed my view of religion, period. Because I now see all of those religions as a world view.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, profoundly moving to work on that book. But... If not for that book, I would say Stars in the Junkyard, the book that I've been reading from. Yeah. Okay. Would be a favorite.
0: A lot of people don't like when I ask that question. No, oh, no don't ask me that. Um because of course you had the list in in front of you before we even got into this. So <laughs> uh I'm glad to see that you were prepared.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, both of those books—they really just deal with the issues of the heart, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and
0: I mean, what are you closest to? You're the issues of the heart, absolutely. And now, where can people connect with you? Um, Facebook, snail mail, TikTok, Instagram, and the list goes on.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm on Facebook as Sharon Berg author, and so if you want the address on Facebook. It after you put in Facebook dot com, it would be Sharon dot <laughs> Okay. That's me. Okay. And um I also have a web page on Wix and it's Sharonberg Author dot Wixite dot com slash my dash site. Okay. It could be it could be just Author dot com, but I'm not paying for it.
0: <laughs> but if somebody Googled your name, it would come up anyway.
1: It may. It it might have been around long enough, but definitely you could find it Sharonbergauthor dot com, yeah. my site.
0: Fair sure enough. You're not on TikTok or
1: no? Like I said, I'm in the middle of this forest, and uh... the cell phone just does not work properly. Do, but do, if they want to find an old lady of 70.
0: <laughs> I'm not that far behind you. Uh, you can either read one more poem before moment I say goodbye, or you can, I can just leave you with one parting thought. What would you like?
1: I think I'd like to read a poem.
0: Let's do it. We're not constricted by time, so.
1: Okay. Well, this is a fairly sh- Relative to the last poem I read, it's shorter anyway, and it's from a different time in my life, but I like it. Metamorphosis Like children, we have taken books to bed, reciting favorite poems, each to the other. Later, we discover more than any author delivers to the page as we stretch, sheaf to sheaf, our faces beaded in the shivering of our tongues. Your friend has joked that you, of all men, should be used to becoming fodder for my poems. Only we, too, know the irony in how many slip beyond the page. Candles writing their haiku upon the walls. Rampant, ignored, my poems are moles in a labyrinth beneath the skin. In this tiny attic room, under the sloping roof, we listen for snowmelt, one note dripping constant on tin outside the window. You and I drift into stillness in the cradle of arms. Lover, we each live but a moment in our search. Flecks of dust driven by winds. Yet we are more than breath and dust. How to describe our metamorphosis? You and I become the poem. Both cadence and rhyme inform our lives as we dare to reach beyond the page. Placed in cosmic currents, we sing the body electric with verse, a haiku transfigured by candles.
0: <laughs> I was just thinking of uh, the the tin roof that I live under.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's uh <laughs> Again, imagery, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's, you you put me in that place. So that's, that's, I, I love stuff like that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, no problem. What did it mean to you to write that?
1: I don't know. It's just translating a feeling onto the page to share Mm -hmm. with other people. Okay.
0: Sometimes there's no reason or rhyme, (laughs) or sometimes (laughs) it's all about the reason and the rhyme. Well, yep, yep, yep. (laughs) In closing, what would you tell anyone who is considering trying to become a writer and or get published?
1: Whatever you do, give yourself the grace of time and prepare yourself for many rejections because even the best authors with many books under their belts um, receive rejection after rejection. I I'm still reading from colleagues, um, as old as I am and a little bit younger about how many rejections they receive. Patience is probably one of the biggest things you need, um, as an author. It's hard slugging.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All the way,
1: all the way to the end.
0: But is there an end? No, that's uh, that's pretty sound advice right there. Sharon, I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of, uh, your day, um, to come and join us here on Between the Lines. It's, um, it was, it's been enlightening. It's been fun. Um, I always love to hear other poets because that's, uh, that's predominantly what I do is I, I, I write what I call poetry. And, yeah. um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been, uh, educational. It's been insightful. And again, thank you so much for your time.
1: No problem. Thank you very much, Randy, not only for this interview, but for the interviews that you're doing with other people. It's really important. And it is one of the things that does build our community.
0: I agree with you 100%. Um, With that, have yourself a great, wonderful rest of your day. Thank you very much. You too. And that's a wrap for another episode of Between the Lines, the podcast. I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in today. Your passion for literature and the written word is what makes this journey so extraordinary. But before you head back to the world beyond our literary haven, I have a quick favor. If today's episode resonated with you, help spread the word. To explore more about me or read the blog, or hear all episodes of Between the Lines, head over to www.therandylacey.ca. If you believe in the magic of writing and want to be part of the Between the Lines community, show some love by clicking on the Buy Me a Coffee button in the top right corner of the page. Your support, no matter how small, helps me bring fascinating conversations with talented authors and writers your support is crucial to keep this literary ship sailing please consider subscribing to be notified of any news about future content if you have any questions comments or are interested in being a guest email me at randy.btlpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com so until next time Happy reading, writing, and living between the lines.